Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. What did you do for the fourth? Did anything happen while I was in the basement? Oh, yeah, something did. Can't quite remember. Can't quite put my finger on it. Oh, that's right. It's this. LeBron James is an L.A. Laker. Let me repeat that. Because even though that was announced on Sunday, it's still pretty mind-blowing four days later. LeBron James is a Los Angeles Laker. And this time around, he could not have made that announcement in a less dramatic way. He released a statement through his agency, Clutch Sports, which read, quote, LeBron James, four-time NBA MVP, three-time NBA Finals MVP, 14-time All-Star, and two-time Olympic gold medalist has agreed to a four-year, $154 million contract with the Los Angeles Lakers, quote, end of quote. You know, bam, like that, one sentence, 33 words, and one amazing move. And it set off one hell of a party among Laker fans. I'm guessing last night's fireworks had a little extra juice because the King is, in fact, coming to L.A., Even though it seemed like it was becoming more and more likely, it's still kind of insane when it actually happens. I mean, I could spend the rest of this show and the rest of the week unpacking this entire thing and what it all means. But let's get a few things straight right off the top. Number one, LeBron is not coming to L.A. just so he could launch his Hollywood enterprises. First off, he already has a foothold here, even when he lived in Ohio. And if you're LeBron James... You don't actually have to live in Hollywood to work in Hollywood. You think maybe studios and executives wouldn't take a phone call or a Skype call from LeBron James? Doubt that. No, LeBron is coming to the Lakers because LeBron wants to be a Laker. And that's huge. The best player in the game chose to be a Laker. For years, the Lakers have been rolling out the purple and gold carpet for free agents and they all passed. All the ones who mattered, many of whom would not even take a meeting with the Lakers. No names mentioned Paul George. I'll get to that a little bit later on. But for one reason or another, they didn't want to be Lakers. These key free agents wanted to be a Spur or a Rocket. Pretty much anything except a Laker. L.A. could not find anybody to take their money. But now LeBron wants to be a Laker. And not because this is the place where he could link up with Paul George or Kawhi Leonard. Because he's coming after it's clear that PG was going to stay in OKC. And there's no guarantee that Kawhi's ever going to come. LeBron is a Laker because LeBron wants to be a Laker. Which is enormous for the Laker fan base that's felt like the last eight years without a championship were like 80. And it's a big swing for LeBron. When you become a Laker, you follow in some enormous footsteps. K-A-J, Magic, Kobe, and now LeBron. I mean, a safer play would have been to stay in Cleveland. There, maybe you cobble something together, and you can try and barrel your way through the Eastern Conference again next year. And if he never got back to the finals, his reputation and his legacy were secure. Nobody would ever say Jack if he stayed there. But he's taking a big swing. And it's not a big gravy training swing. He's not just showing up to win a title this year because this team isn't going to win a title this year. Hate to break it to you, Laker fan. You're going to have to wait on that. When you look at the roster that they have right now, this is where it gets really interesting because it's LeBron and the kids. And that's before we get to the additions of Lance, JaVale, and Rondo. Three guys who go by one name. 
and generally not for the right reasons. I mean, that is going to be an insane locker room. But if they don't win it this year, it's fine. In fact, it's expected. This team is not going to beat Golden State. But they'll be fascinating to watch. And it's going to be fascinating to see how it all plays out. What happens next summer when there will be a bunch of free agents available? Kyrie didn't want to play with LeBron. Apparently, Paul George didn't want to play with LeBron. What if LeBron can no longer recruit? Can the guy recruit? Can he eventually win another ring with another team? And can he win one with the Lakers? And yes, let's be clear about something else. Magic Johnson and Rob Palenka do deserve credit here because they would have gotten a hell of a lot of heat if they didn't get anybody. And they actually got it done, so tip your hat to them. Jeannie Buss deserves a lot of credit. She was the one who had to make the tough decision to break off her brother and Mitch Kupchak, which set this whole thing in motion. <laughs> Let me repeat that. She fired her damn brother. Brother. You know how hard that is. And if she doesn't do it, it's hard to imagine that LeBron is a Laker today. And as always, the moment LeBron does anything, it immediately becomes a debate about his legacy. But if you're still having that debate, I'm not sure who you're debating with. He just turned in one of the greatest seasons he's ever had, that we've ever seen in his 15th year in the league. I'm not sure what more this guy can do. But right now, he's taking on something that's far from a sure thing. He's taking on a huge risk. And I couldn't respect that more. Look, you never know with LeBron, but you'd think this would be the final act of his career. And the fact that it's going to play out in L.A. as a Laker is fascinating. It's going to be must-see TV. I don't know how it plays out, but I know two things. LeBron wants to be a Laker, and you want to watch him. I don't care if you love him. I don't care if you hate him. Don't tell me you're not watching this because you know you are. You know you are. We are joined right now by the champ, Daniel Cormier. DC, good morning. What's up? How are you? I'm good, Jim. How you feeling? Daniel, I'm great. It's good to have you on the show, as always. Thanks so much. Let me get right at this. You're about 48 hours away from the start of the fight on Saturday night. How is fight week shaping up for you? How are things going? It's going great. You know, not having to cut all this weight has been, uh, you know, it's been, a bl- it's been fun, you know. But um, right now I'm trying to stay within myself, you know. Like, as you progress in the week, Things start to pick up, you know, from the open workouts to the press conference to the weigh-in. You really got to try to maintain your composure and not put exert too much energy, put too much stress on your body, you know. So I'm just trying to lay back and, and kind of stay within myself. Daniel Cormier, my guest. I'm kind of chuckling about the weight thing. I'll get to that in a minute. That is kind of funny. Listen, though, you are the light heavyweight champion of the world. You're taking on Stipe for the heavyweight belt. You don't need this fight. So why do you want this fight? Mm-hmm. I like to trade G- chase dreams, man, trying to do things that will ensure that when my time is done, when I'm done fighting and everything, people will always remember the things that I did, you know, and challenges. We all try to challenge ourselves in one way or, or the other, you know, and this was presented to me, and I thought, man, this is such a massive opportunity. I could never pass it up. I love this chance. I've had a lot of opportunities to do special things, and, um, this is another one of those. Hopefully I can cash it in this time. Daniel Cormier, my guest. In terms of the opportunity, so how did the fight first come about, and what were those first conversations with Dana White like? When did they start? Man, let me tell you something, Jim. Dana works quick. I got done fighting Volkan Uzdemir in Boston on January 20th, and the moment I walked to the back to do my post-fight media and everything, he grabbed me and he goes, what do you think about a fight against Stipe? 
And I was like, really? I was like, I fought like 30 minutes ago. <laughs> wow. I was like, I literally fought 30 minutes ago. And he was like, what do you think about a fight with Stipe? So I said, you know what? I go, very interested. I said, but let's make the numbers work. If we make the numbers work, then we'll be fighting each other. And he's like, okay, I'll give you a call on Monday. And sure, he sure did. Monday morning, called me and said, not only do I want you to fight Stipe, I want you to fight him on the biggest weekend of the year, and we also want you guys to coach the ultimate fighter. I was like, ah, I don't want to go to Vegas for a month. He's like, I'll make you an offer you can't refuse. He gave me the numbers. He said, I'll see you in Vegas on Monday. I said, I need to speak to my wife. He goes, I'll see you in Vegas on Monday. And I hate that he was right because that Monday, I sure as hell was in Vegas. <laughs> That's amazing. Just like that. Daniel Cormier joining us. That came together so fast. <laughs> Daniel, what about the odds makers? Now, they've got Stipe as the favorite for the fight. What's your reaction when you see that? Do you feel like you're being disrespected, or is there a part of you that likes being the underdog? You know, he should be the favorite. I just don't understand how the odds are so big. It's like, he's a great fighter, but it's like, really, is he really going to beat me that many times? If we fight nine times, is he going to beat me eight, eight out of nine times? It seems like these odds represent that he would just beat me. Uh, over and over again. He's just a better fighter. Um, anything can happen in a fight, and I think when you look at our fighting styles, this is a much closer matchup uh, than people think it is. And listen, when I look at the fighting styles, and styles do make fights, it, I see styles that are pretty similar. I mean, when you look at him, do you see any of you in him? Yeah, and you, you're right. you hit the nail on the head, Jim. Our fighting styles are pretty similar, and I feel like in that fighting style, the boxer-wrestler, I feel like I'm the best guy in the UFC that does that. I mean, I don't kick all that much, but Stipe also doesn't kick all that much. You know, I feel like we both wrestle and we box, and I feel like I can do that with anybody in the world, regardless of weight class. So, uh, yeah, I see a lot of myself in him. He's just a lot bigger. The Thursday edition of the Daily Jungle is brought to you by Fan Exchange. It's a holiday week. Tons of time off. Do not waste it inside. Summer means baseball, so get to Fan Exchange and then get to the yard. Tickets purchased on Fan Exchange are always guaranteed. No getting to the gate and worrying about getting in. Fan Exchange gets you closer to the action. Find the very best seats at the very best prices at fanexchange.com. Use the promo code ROME. That's promo code ROME and get 50% off the service fees on your next purchase. Fan Exchange. We have tickets. Fan Exchange. Promo code Rome. Daniel Cormier joining us right now. A big, big fight coming up this weekend. I go back to that first thing that you said, Daniel, and you've joked that you're the only fighter who gets applause for making weight. So how much pressure was <laughs> off when you didn't have to hit 205 for that weigh-in, and how has that impacted your training? Early, it was tough because being heavy, you're having to carry around a lot of extra weight. You know, Generally, I trade around 230. Uh, I weigh 245 now. You know, So it's like, 15 extra pounds and trying to do everything I did as a light heavyweight, it was very difficult. But as I got in shape, as the camp went longer, uh, it became less of an issue, and now I feel fantastic. Daniel Cormier, my guest. Now, you fought as a heavyweight before, so how different are you as a fighter now that you're coming back to fight at heavyweight once again? I mean, do you have a different level of focus or discipline or your approach? What's different this time? I'm just a better mixed martial artist. Jim. Like I've gotten so much better. Uh, since the time I fought at, at heavyweight. You know, my last fight at heavyweight was against Roy Nelson. That was in 2013. I mean, I have shared the octagon with some of the best fighters in the world in a lighter weight class where guys are a little more skilled, they're a little bit faster, 
Um, and I've beaten almost every one of them. Everyone but Jones I've beaten. And uh, that's, that is, those lessons will carry me back up into this weight class. I mean, you learn so much about yourself in five years. I feel like I'm so much better today than I was back then. Daniel Cormier, my guest. Listen, you and I are talking about a huge fight you've got coming up this weekend, and that's where your focus is. But you mentioned Jones. So let me just ask you, is he in, on any level still in the back of your mind? And do you feel like you have unfinished business with him? Is that ever going to change? I mean, anytime anybody beats you twice, you're going to feel like you have unfinished business with him. But he's in the back of my mind, Jim, where he needs to stay. Because if that is if he's in the middle of my head or on the side, he's too close to the front where Stipe Miocic is the first issue. That's the first order of business, and it needs to be. So um, in the back of my head, yes, but uh, by no means am I worried about him as I go into this massive fight with Stipe. Massive fight coming up this weekend. Have you allowed yourself to think about what it might feel like to have both straps on your shoulders at the end of the fight on Saturday night? What do you think that would feel like? Oh, just amazing, man. Just I've been competing at a really high level for a really long time. And to do this, something that some of the greatest fighters of all time couldn't have done or wouldn't have attempted to do would be oh, it would be amazing. It it would be so refreshing and so like fulfilling. I I I'm smiling now just thinking about it. Yeah, Daniel, it seems to me that and it's a big if, but it seems like the straps, those two straps are different. For instance, the light heavyweight division is generally regarded as the division with the best fighters in the world, but being the heavyweight champ comes with the other title of the baddest man on the planet. How much would it mean to you to prove that you've earned that title as well? Oh, Jim, no, that, again, that would be crazy because I'm a big boxing guy. I've watched my whole life, and before when I was growing up, Mike Tyson... Van der Holyfield, Lennox Lewis. The heavyweight boxing champ was regarded as the baddest man on the planet. Can't say that anymore. The heavyweight champ is not the baddest man on the planet. The baddest man on the planet is the UFC heavyweight champion because in a free fight, that mixed martial artist is going to win that fight. That title means so much because as a kid, I looked up to Tyson and, and Holyfield and those guys and thought, man, this is the baddest man walking the face of God's earth. And I could call myself that on Sunday morning. Daniel Cormier, UFC light heavyweight champ, getting ready for one of the biggest challenges of his career. It's UFC 226. Mia Chich versus Cormier Saturday night. It is live. It's on pay-per-view. This one is a big one. DC, so good to visit with you. Thanks for making time for us here in the jungle. Good luck this weekend. We will be watching closely. Thank you, Jim. Thanks for having me again. Business owners, I'm talking to you. I know you have so many things to do every single day. I'm a business owner myself. Take one thing off your list by going to stamps.com. I love it. So what you need to do is create your own stamps.com account. You can do so in minutes online with no equipment to lease and no long-term commitments. Click, print, mail, and you are done. Stamps.com brings all the amazing services of the U.S. Postal Service right to your fingertips. Once again, I have used Stamps.com for a long time because it is so fast, it is so easy, it is so convenient, and it does save me money. Right now, you too can enjoy the Stamps.com service with a special offer, which includes a four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale. 
All you have to do is go to stamps.com, hit the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Jungle. Once again, I love this service. I know you will too. Go to stamps.com and enter Jungle. What's the two-time defending champ? Back-to-back. A guy trying to make a three-peat. What is left in Laguna going to do without the studio raid? Maybe you missed it last week, but I did go into the rule book with a big red Sharpie, and I put it down in all caps. No one except me is going to be in this studio during the smack-off. Call it the left in Laguna rule if you want. I'm not. I'm just calling it a rule. And the reason for that is the rule was not written just for left. The rule was not written to placate Mike and Indy. I don't even know what the hell Mike and Indy's doing, which I'll get to in a minute. That's not what that rule is for. The rule was not written for Lef or written for Mike. It was written for everybody. And look, I'm not even sure that Lef was going to crash this studio again. I've got no idea what Lef is planning on for his phone call. The rule was strictly preventative, not corrective, preventative. Nevertheless, the question does remain the same. What is left going to do without that club in his bag? Now, I did argue right here that his smack-off call last year was good enough to win on its own without the Sports Illustrated photo shoot recreation. But there's no denying that the gimmicks are a part of his game. That is a major club in his bag. So what else do you call it? I mean, when a guy buzzes my studio with a helicopter, when the guy rushes into my studio with a helium balloon. When a guy breaks down the door with a bunch of legends from decades past. Gimmicks. Gimmicks. But none, and I'll acknowledge that, gimmicks. But none of the gimmicks take away from how creative this cat is. Which is why the question is so intriguing. What is the most creative and elaborate caller in the smack off going to do without access to my house? Like I said, it's a huge storyline that ends with a bigger question mark. But one question mark storyline that may be as big as that is where the hell is Mike in Indy? And where the hell will Mike in Indy be on July 20th? If you don't know Mike in Indy, here's a quick backstory. Because he's got one of the more complex smack-off histories in the jungle. Not only is he a six-time, six-time runner-up, six times, but so many of you want to hang an asterisk on the one that he did win because of Chael Sonnen's appearance. At the very least, a lot of you want to call it a half title. Many of you want to say it's no title. I don't see it that way. And that's why he's in my book as a champion. In my book, frankly, is the only book that matters. But he's got this rep. A rep as a bitter bridesmaid. Bitterman. In short, a guy who thinks maybe some of you think that he thinks that it's fixed. And that's why I made that rule. Again, that's not why I made that rule. I didn't make that rule to placate Mike. What I did was I made that rule to keep all of you out of my studio because I've got enough to concern myself with on that day than all of you coming in the studio. However, I also did it in response because a number of you in the competition said it's just not fair. Rome, it's not fair. That guy lives down your street. He can get in the car, come right on over, and have access to you and your house. I can't afford a plane ticket. I can't get time off. All right, all right, fine. You think that's unfair? I've heard the complaint. Nobody can do it. Now it's fair. Anyway, in terms of Mike, in terms of Mike, you know, what about Mike? Where's Mike going to be? If you're keeping score at home, Mike has not called this show 
since the smack-off last year when he finished second to left and famously dropped this line. Last name ever, first name gimmickiest, a.k.a. Left and Laguna. Someone send out an Amber Alert for the smack in that call. It's still called the smack-off, not the heartwarming moment-off. Good point, right? Still not enough. Look, I made the point to call him and Vic and No Call out for their standoff of silence. Except Vic showed up last week. Vic showed up twice last week. And now the searchlight for Mike has only grown bigger and hotter. Because so far in 2018, we've heard from the likes of Brad, Vic, Iafrady, and Jeff from Richmond. If you had said to me at the start of 2018 that I'd hear from Brad, Iafrady, and Jeff from Richmond, but not Mike, I would have said that's the wackest thing I've ever heard. Except Mike... DLC is still Mikey MIA. And in a way, he's getting even more run for not being here than maybe he had for being here. And part of me feels like that might be exactly what he wants. And if it is, he's working his plan to perfection because this dude's been a topic on this show and almost everybody's phone call for the past month. No doubt. Mike is always a favorite to win. And with Lef not being able to rush up on the studio, Mike's odds have increased. In fact, I haven't checked the odds lately, but Lef may not even be the favorite, and he's the back-to-back champ. So what's going to happen? Where does that leave Mike? Is Mike going to show up? Is Mike even going to RSVP? And what would be more shocking, showing up for the first time in a year on the day of the smack-off or not showing up at all? I literally have no idea what the hell this guy's doing. The field is taking shape. As we get closer to this thing, in 15 days, there are two of the big storylines. What's left going to do without the studio raid? And is Mike going to be a part of this thing? Mike and Indy. Part of what has me pumped is I can't wait to find out. Either of these questions, both of these questions. Is Mike coming around or not? I know left will. I just don't know what he'll do. Isaiah Pede is my guest. Isaiah, it is so great to have you on the show. Good morning. How are you? Hey, thanks for having me. Good, doing good. Good, good. You know, as I mentioned, you've got an absolutely incredible and truly inspirational story. But in order to tell it so everybody appreciates it, we have to go back to some pretty tough moments, if that's all right with you. That's fine. Okay, good. On November 5th, 2016, your son Deuce was born. Why don't we start right there? What do you remember about that day and meeting him for the first time? Man, it was, uh, well, he's, he's, kind of spit out you know so it was kind of everything kind of just happened too fast <laughs> it was the whole dad part you know kind of went out the window but you know once i uh had him for that week uh or for that day um it was like i you know i didn't want to let go you know on that that day uh kind of ran into the next day um when i had to i had to get on a flight to go to kansas city uh, and losing track of time and getting, you know, lost in my feelings of just, you know, thinking about his future, uh, you know, missed the flight. So I ended up that, that feeling, the feelings kind of lasted a little longer than what they were supposed to, which was kind of a, you know, a gift in itself. Isaiah P. joining us. So you have that day, and then you get kind of caught up in that, and then you spend about a week learning how to become a new father, and then the following Friday, you're out driving with a friend on I-670, and you hit a bump. What do you remember about what happened next? Uh, hit the bump, 
I do remember kind of swerving. We were about to hit the wall. Uh, Might have blown up, blown up actually, but I caught the wheel. We swerved back out the other way, back towards the right, you know. Um, and but the freeway kind of curving left, so I, I didn't have enough time to to catch it back again. Um, we we shot out the side. Uh, when we hit the guardrail, the, the airbag deployed, and you know I I just remember that much of it. The next thing I know, I'm, I'm waking up in a uh, in a hospital, you know. Isaiah P. joining us. So then you wake up in the hospital and you were not able to speak at that time because you had a tube in your mouth and then you wrote on a piece of paper what's going on and your mother responded, you were in a car accident and you lost your leg. What was it like to hear that in that moment? Oh, man, I I still I still can't really search the word. I mean, because it's just it's it's like uh, you're thinking how. Um, you're thinking, you're not even thinking, you know, why, or it's just like, hold on, you know, what did you just tell me? How did this happen? How how did my leg just come up? So I was, I think that was the the big focus, uh, or the, the initial, like, what? It couldn't have been, how bad was this accident? You know, uh, was, was, is, is Wesley okay? You know, I'm asking my friend, or was, um, and they said, everybody's fine, you know, so. I understood he was everything was okay. Nobody died. Um, that was a blessing, um, and I kind of just, you know, closed my eyes. I closed my eyes, and um, I just start kind of just praying, man. I was praying, and you know, thanking him, thanking for one, thank you, thank you for sparing my life. Um, but I'm gonna need. I'm gonna need some help with showing, you know, what does this mean? You know, if you show me, give me all type of signs, show me everything, uh, you know, uh, have instill that discipline in me, um, keep that strength in me. Uh, but I'm gonna need some help on this one, you know, um, with just with every signal. Um, and I, it humbled me. Uh, I pray for humbleness and, you know, don't, don't let me outrage. Um, you know, just, just allow me to remain, you know, me and, and understand you, you know, understand clearly what I'm not understanding right now. Isaiah, Isaiah, I mean, can I, I'm sorry to interrupt you. It's an amazing thing. It's amazing to me that you were able to get to that place. I mean, in a sense, what you're saying is, I mean, it would have been so easy for you or anybody else to be absolutely devastated, not only in that moment for, for quite some time, but what I'm hearing is you start to ask God, help me understand what I don't understand. Why did this happen? What's your plan for me here? What's the story? I mean, that's incredible. How are you able to get to that place as quickly as you were? And this is, uh, so I'm a, I'm a true believer. Everything happens for a reason. Um, you know, when, when things are going bad in life, uh, you can kind of, in a sense, pinpoint to where you can tighten your things up, control what you can control, and maybe things will start turning, you know, around, you know. And But uh, at that point, that does not just control it, what I can control so I can get to where I'm going to get. Where am I getting to? What is happening? My life is completely changed. Um, and when you hit rock bottom like that, I'm, I've taught growing up, you, you, you give it all to the Lord. You just, that's, 
that's it's in me, you know. Um, I gave it all up, and, and it, that's in a sense to say, I uh, just I didn't know what to expect next. I didn't know how tomorrow, next week, next month to bring. I didn't know, you know, what I would do. I didn't have any business or anything like that. I didn't have any passion. I didn't have any want to for nothing else but football. And and that alone is what is what left me to give it all up to the Lord um, and, and, you know, continue to pray like as I always done. Um, but to really, to really ask, you know, for signs of, you know, what, what, what this next, you know, this next, this next plan is. And on top of that, of course, you had a newborn son. In fact, Isaiah Pete's my guest. From what you were told, one more thought about the accident, and then I'll move on. But you landed 30 feet from the car. You were bleeding profusely. In fact, doctors have said that you were three to five minutes away from bleeding out and dying right there. As you said, you were that close to your son growing up without a father. What does it mean to you to hear that? Yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. I mean, it, it's definitely, um, you know, I, I joke I joke a lot about the, any incident around the, you know, the, anything that happened around the incident or, you know, anything that could have may have happened. You know, sometimes they joke about it, just freshen things up. But when I think about that, um, you know, that you don't really, that wipes every smirk off my face. You know, you don't really want to joke about that. Uh, that's, and it's, but you have to think about it. You don't necessarily have to, but it comes. You know, it, it comes to thought. Uh, just I see him every morning. He wakes up every morning. Rather he has a hundred and three degree fever, or you know, if he doesn't, he's smiling. He he he'll laugh at you, and that that feeling. Um, I I don't know if any football moment would have gave me that same feeling. Mm. Um, if any moment in life would have gave me that feeling, and uh, just. You know, and whatever feeling he had, you know, he wouldn't have ever had that feeling. Um, and just to know that, that, first of all, to see the bond that we have every day, you know, that's my boy, you know. And, uh, you know, almost almost bring me to tears when I think about not ever, I've ever been able to experience that, you know. That's great. I love that. Isaiah P. joining us. I really love that. So roughly a month after you left the hospital, you and your father go to the Pro Bowl in Orlando, and you're spending time with Janoris Jenkins, and it was the first time he had seen you since the accident, and you're in a wheelchair because you didn't have your prosthetic leg yet, and he says, quote, man, you could go to the Paralympics, and you shook him off initially, but then he practically shouted it, quote, we go into the Paralympics, baby. So <laughs> what was that moment like? Yeah, yeah, it was cool. It was, it was good. <laughs> right? Because uh, that's that's what Jake, that's me and Jake, man. That's what we do. We, we you know, we talk it up. So, uh, but we had talked about it. Me and me and my uh, friends in the in the room we were coming to see me in the hospital bed. You know, we were talking about, you know, what I could be doing in life. You know, after days after um, me waking up, of course, we were talking about, uh, you know, what I could do. You know, Paralympics, wheelchair. Uh, coaching, you know, it wouldn't even be me doing the sport. Maybe get back into football. Uh, so, of course, Paralympic coming up, and we talked about that, but we didn't know anything. We didn't YouTube anything. It was just so far ahead, you know, almost like you know playing little league, and you're talking about going to uh, NFL. And so um, then fast forward to now, I'm out of the hospital bed. I'm out here and traveling and in a wheelchair. And, Run into 
you know, one of my boys from from my from Middle League, you know, not from not not uh, technically from Middle League, but in my mind, um, a, a friend who from long ago knows me, and just to blurt it out without him him ever even being in that conversation that we had, had a long time ago, um, you know, that kind of gave it, you know, that reassurance, like, yeah, that's my boy, and my boy knows, you know, me. And um, I wasn't necessarily where he was mentally as far as the, you know, we're going to the Paralympics at that moment. Yet I was still trying to get out of this wheelchair and get standing up and, and get in a prosthetic leg. Um, so the fact that he even shouted it out, it was like, oh, man, we're on the same page, huh? Okay, I got to make sure I, you know, do right. Right, and he was hyped for it. So I got to know, what was it like the first time you put on that running leg and went to the track? Is there any way to put that into feeling or that feeling into words? That was different. <laughs> that was different. I, I try to explain the even the prosthetic leg itself. It's like wearing stilts. If you ever wore stilts, um, it's kind of like that. Uh, if you were to put a pogo on a stilt, now that that's a, a running leg, and um, it's just it's it's very it's bouncy. You know, it's a pogo, so it's uh it's. It's fun <laughs> in a weird way. It's fun when it's when everything is right. You know, we, if you know how to catch a balance and just bounce on it, you know, you can. It's like a kid. You know, you, you, got, you got to have some. You got to have some some youth in you uh, to even make this work. You know, and you have to be you know more determined and frustrated. So, yeah, I have I had my frustrations and um, I couldn't get it right. I was far far from racing anybody, <laughs> uh, but. I'm not limping around. Um, I'm not, you know, waiting for this uh, microchip knee to walk. That's what my walking leg has. It basically walks on its own. Um, so I'm not moving at a slow pace. Um, I'm, I'm out bouncing around. I'm, you know, falling. <laughs> I'm being athletic. So in a weird way, it was just it was just fun. It was just fun to just not be as disabled as I've been, you know. Isaiah P., my guest, I like that. And I especially like you have to be more determined than frustrated. You've also said, quote, my dream is done, but I'm still young. I have my whole life ahead of me. What's next? What do you want to be remembered for? Quote, end of quote. So let me get you to answer that, if you would. What do you want to be remembered for? I just, I just want to be remembered as just a hardworking, hardworking, you know, faithful, uh, you know, man. Um, I, I come from, you know, unprivileged background and worked through whatever I had to work through to get to where I was at, um, through, you know, my family and, and staying faithful to the Lord. And then my life changed. Um, but that doesn't necessarily take away of what has been instilled into me, um, what God gave me as far as my discipline, as far as, you know, my leadership and just my understanding uh, of hard work and what hard work can do. Uh, and so I just take that and, and continue to be the best, best person, you know, I am. We are joined by Jarvis Landry. Jarvis, great to have you back. How are you? 
No, I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. Dude, so good to have you back. All right, so it's been nearly four months since you were traded from Miami to Cleveland. Now that you've had a little more time to be around the organization and the players, how pumped up are you about the opportunity that now is before you? Man, just excited. You know, just excited to begin this next phase of my life um, in a a place with so much appreciation, you know, and in a place to find so much room to grow. You know, so I'm excited about, you know, the next chapter of my life and, you know, the Cleveland Browns. Let me pick up on that for a minute because you said your next chapter of your life. Like when you and I have talked in the past and we spoke back in April, it seemed like you were in a very different place in your life than you are right now. Now, not a bad place in the past, but it felt like you were even more happy and more motivated now than you have been in the past. Do I have that right? Am I reading that wrong? Or does it feel that way to you? No, you're right. You know, and again, like I said, you know, it's just the appreciation, you know, the the, the amount of appreciation and respect um, that, I, that I got by going to Cleveland, you know, whether it's from the coaches and everybody in the building to the fans, you know, uh, just the people in general, you know, um, really recognize, re- recognizing my value and, you know, and, and, and respecting that. Now, listen, this is an amazing football town with an amazing fan base, and they've been through quite a lot. But I can't remember the last time the Browns fans were as hyped as they are right now. Can you feel the excitement, and how good would it feel to reward reward them with a big-time season? I feel like that's what the city has been waiting for. You know, um, I know there's been this this aura, this stigma over um, the Cleveland Browns for a long time, and I believe that you know, that, that town and seeing how passionate that they're about their sports teams and, in particular, their football team. You know, um, obviously having LeBron in town and stuff like that, um, they get, that, that, that gave some life um, to all the fans and to the city. But, you know, truthfully, they want to see their football team be successful as well. And, um, you know, I'm just so happy that I could be a part uh, of this turnaround because I know it's going to happen. Browns wide receiver Jarvis Landry joining us, and I want to talk to you about that turnaround. You've been raving about Tyrod Taylor and Baker Mayfield. What have you seen from them so far that makes you so excited? You know, both guys extremely talented, you know, uh, extremely smart, you know, um, both capable, um, you know, and and it's just exciting, man, to know that, um, you know, the stable of guys and the competition level between those two guys, you know, is at its best and it's only going to get better, which is going to make those guys better, and it's going to make the guys around them better, including myself. And, um, again, man, I'm just so I'm excited. I'm excited to see uh, how, how it turns out. And Jarvis, what about the dynamic between the two of them? I mean, I would imagine it's got to be an interesting dynamic in the sense that Tyrod's a guy that knows a lot that he could share with Baker, but Baker obviously is trying to get what Tyrod has. So what's the dynamic seem like to you so far between the two of them and how they interact together? I mean, you know what? Um, you know, uh, both both guys are definitely handled it well. You know, um, you know, Baker coming in, being drafted, understanding the situation. Tyrod obviously signing uh, with Cleveland, and and, uh, and I'm sure they were pretty straightforward with him about you know their plan. Um, and you know, I think those guys have came in and approached um, what they're both faced with. You know, with the right attitude, with the right mentality. Um, again, both capable guys. Um, it's just going to be interesting to see um, how how it plays out, but the competition level is is there and it's healthy, and that's all that you know. That's all we could ever ever hope for, um, being teammates and stuff. You know. Jarvis Landry joining us. He led the NFL in receptions last year. So there's so much buzz around the Browns right now. You're a big part of that. When you look at the talent on both sides of the ball, 
how good can this team be this season? I mean, does it feel like a potential playoff team? Man, you know, that, that's the crazy part, you know, um, just how, how good we can be. But I totally believe that it's up to us. You know, it's up to us as the Cleveland Browns, as the organization, coaches, staff, players, you know, everybody as a whole um, to, to really put in that time, put in that hard work. And, you know, for us, just expectations, you know, obviously I know for me personally, man, I train to win the Super Bowl every year. So that's my thought process. That's my mindset. And I treat every single game as that. You know, every single game is, is my Super Bowl. Every single game is my championship, you know, and, and just win that one game. And that's my mindset, you know. So uh, hopefully that, that culture shift that's happening right now in the locker room, you know, that begins to be the mindset of every player, uh, every guy, you know, and we grow together and start winning some games. And before you know it, you know, you look and it's going to be January and the Cleveland Browns will still be around. Jarvis Landry joining us. Speaking of Super Bowls and championships, the NFL came out with its top 100 rankings, and the video there had one clip after another of Bill Belichick talking about you. And he's saying things in his headset like, Landry, where is he? We're doubling Landry, yeah? Let's make sure we get Landry. I mean, one quote after another. What's it mean to you to hear the best coach in the history of football is obsessed with stopping you when you're on the field? Oh, man, you know, my hat goes off to, 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 to Bill and everything he's done. Uh, obviously, in this league, I've played against him since I've come in the NFL, but known him, known him for forever. And honestly, man, it's it's a compliment. You know, I guess it's a compliment. Um, but, I mean, it's a testament, too, to my hard work and everything that I've, I've, I've done in the off season and just getting ready for those moments and those games like that when you play against the Patriots. You know, you you got to score. You got to stop them from scoring. Obviously, that's the objective of the game. But when you got TB12 back there doing the things that he does, man, we got to find a way on the offensive side of the ball to make sure we keep it. And, you know, I think he was just trying to stop it, trying to make sure uh, we didn't do that. We're talking to Jarvis Landry. You know, the other thing that kept coming up in that piece was guys around the league were talking about the size of your hands. You know, great. It's one thing to have big hands, and I know you've got a great set of hands, but there's so much more to being a great wide receiver than having good hands. When you look at the all-around package that you bring to it, receptions, blocking, ability to play either inside or outside, maybe even come out of the backfield, do you feel right now like there's a better receiver in the NFL than Jarvis Landry? You know, I think there's a lot of guys in the NFL that does a lot of things respectively well, you know, and, and they get their recognition for that. And um, obviously we, do, we we both know who those guys are, you know, but as far as just being complete, um, I, I do believe that I'm one of the best in the NFL of just being a complete receiver, being able to do it all um, and, and, and make my presence felt no matter where I'm at on the field. I think that that, that capability um, is, is what sets me apart a little bit. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm not trying to put you on the spot now. One of the best or the best? What did you say? One of the best or the best in your mind? Oh, one of the best. One of the best. I got you. Jarvis Landry joining us. I got you. Listen, you had a chance to see Josh Gordon up close and work with him. And I'm just saying from where I'm sitting, you know, thousands of miles away, my man looks like an absolutely amazing athlete. But as one receiver looking at another receiver, what stands out to you the most about Josh Gordon? Man, really just the the size that he has and his ability to be able to get in and out of cuts. I think that's one of the most impressive things that I've recognized and noticed about him. You know, um, and, you know, the more that he continues to hone in on that and, and grow 
far as in route running, man, listen, you know, the kid's unstoppable. Talking to Jarvis Landry, you know, as committed as you are on the field, you're still getting some stuff done off the field as well. In fact, you're working with TCL and the cut the cord giveaway. What is involved with that, and how do the fans take part in that? Um, pretty much to take part in that, you just go to TCLUSA.com. Um, you know, sign up. They're doing a giveaway um, this week before July 9th. Um, you know, pretty much, you know, about TCL, you know, they're America's fastest growing television brand. Um, they're giving away 103 TVs um, in celebration of National Cut the Card Day. And, you know, for sports fans, you know, it's a way to break free from cable TV, but you'll still be able to catch all your big games and see your favorite players and stuff like that. So, you know, it's just something that they've, they've done um, to join National Cut the Card Day, man, to, to make it interesting for, you know, the world and um, that experience as far as watching games, watching TV, TV movie, movies and stuff like that. Well done. Good pitch. Jarvis, let me ask you something. What's it mean to you to get these opportunities, you know, to build your personal brand off the field, to have a corporate sponsorship like that? Not every guy gets that. What's it mean to you to get that kind of recognition from the business community, too? You know what? It's an honor, you know, and I I see a lot of value um, in the relationships that, you know, I have with the people that I work with, you know, including TCL. TCL is um, I've been with for a couple of years now, and, you know, every year that I have my back-to-school camp, you know, they donate TVs. Um, every time, you know, um, you know, I get on the radio and stuff like this, you know, they're always doing something to help out, you know, and just the value of the relationship, honestly. And I think, you know, that comes from just um, being a good person. You know, I think they've seen how I carry myself and not really getting in trouble or ever really getting in trouble. And, you know, it makes them want to represent me and seeing the things that they've done. Um, makes me want to be able to represent them as well. You led the NFL with 112 receptions last season. Once again, 400 receptions in his first four seasons, most in NFL history. Jarvis Landry, my guest. Jarvis, great to have you back. Thanks so much for doing that. Hope we can do it again soon. Absolutely. Thank you, babe. God bless. Rex in Albuquerque. Hey, Rex. (laughs) Hey, Romy. Welcome back. You know how everybody has their favorite sporting event. Some have the Super Bowl, some like the Stanley Cup playoffs, somebody's like the World Cup. But for me, it's the Nathan's Hot Dog Contest that was held yesterday. Now, I've never tried to slam 47 dogs in 11 minutes. I'm more of a molten lava cake guy. But I noticed a lack of bathrooms, and I was worried that Joey Nutt was going to have a third-degree blowout on stage. I mean, I've experienced experienced a mudslide and all you can do is deposit your briefs behind the toilet bowl i'm not gonna elaborate i'm not gonna spend any time on that you know why he got run he knows why he got run i don't know about the rest of albuquerque but this guy probably has an opinion let's go to lance in the abq lance you made it in how are you Great, Rome. Well, thank you for the call. I need to represent Albuquerque in a better way. Been listening since 98, original four affiliate, 610 AM. That punk Rex won't call our station. We'll spit out his bones. That's not how we roll in Albuquerque. We don't want some creep. Well, I mean, we're blue-collar people. We're number one in crime. you got to almost get in a fight every day or watch your place from getting robbed no matter where you live. And I looked up the Google, the four-way stops. There's only a few, Rex. But luckily, Ron cut you off his show before you do that stuff to us again. 
You know, we got people here that have bad tempers. They don't call in the show. I'm representing us. It's hard to be a clone for so long and not go on. I wanted to smack off here in town. This is how I roll. You come up to the Birds Left sign with your New Hampshire sign, you people that want to move here, don't even try it. I'll run your ass off the road right there in the construction crew, and that's fine. I got this with my POWMIA thing on there, on the other side, Wounded Warriors, and usually have one of them rolling with me. There's a lot of vets in this town that are in a bad way, and I take care of a lot of them. But you, buddy, made me lose my temper today, and I don't want you anywhere around the show. And, you know, I know you don't come out last night because there's no cops. We blew up this city on the 4th of July. There's no cops. There's fire trucks running everywhere. It was a beautiful sight knowing that we can get away with everyone. We want to if we have to, Rex. So Jim Rome saved you today from Mi Vida Loca. Holy home, the Christ Rousey's face in her career. Yes, there's a back foot for Tapia. I love you, Romy. I'm out. Lance. Got his plane down too, didn't he? You can rack him. Wow. This is why I did not do one of my rants. Gino, what's going on? How are you? Romy, bro, I I appreciate your take earlier about uh, that just because the, you know, the Golden State Warriors are signing all the people that they're not doing anything wrong. And you compared that to like you having vacation and taking it. But exactly the same as that argument is that we don't have to like either one of those things. When you bring in some rando wannabe clone for the week, I respect that you can make the move, but I don't have to like it. You know, so I I will say this about what's happened in the last three or four days in the NBA, changing gears here. The idea of LeBron re-energizing the Lakers versus Celtics glory years, that's got me salivating. Man, I mean, that is so good for the league. I cannot believe it. And then the NBA kind of lost me at Boogie Cousins to the Warriors. You know, I'm, I'm all for players going where they want to go, but there's got to be at least some competitive balance in the league, right? But the more I think about it, the more I realize the only thing that can stop the dubs now that they got Boogie Cousins is Boogie Cousins. There's a reason nobody wants him, including apparently Anthony Davis. Good luck with that nuclear rod melting through your locker, Warriors. And I am happy about the Lakers getting LeBron, but limited props to Magic and Palenka. I mean, you work for the Lakers. You're in L.A. He owns two homes there. I'm pretty sure I could have signed LeBron. But congratulations on rushing out on the first day of free agent signing and getting Lance Stevenson and Rajon Rondo and Contavious Caldwell Pope because it's not like any of those guys would have been available in like a couple of days or a few weeks or the All-Star break. Hey, Contavious Caldwell Pope, I'm guessing your dad was like, what, a, cla- a Catholic gladiator with a real estate kid? Cool name. And I'm sure the fact that you're represented by Clutch Sports has nothing to do with that contract, right? Yeah. But let's talk about Kawhi Baby Leonard for a second. Here's the thing. I don't care if Kawhi wants to go home. I actually respect it. I don't care if he just wants out of San Antonio. I lived in San Antonio 20 years ago. Everybody has the right to live life where they want and how they want. But handle your business with some class Kawhi. You got injured, fine, get yourself right. But me and you and anybody with a brain knows you weren't injured the whole season. You should return the money you stole last season for sitting out. And you could have, at the very least, sat on the bench and supported your team. But you're weak. You're mentally weak. And your fat uncle, I said fat, got in your head and parked you in New York City. And why? Because a Frenchie, Tony Parker, hurt your feelings 
and said that he could man up and come back with the same injury, you let trash talk from a Frenchie mess with your head that bad when you're playing for a $200 million-plus deal on the table, you're weak. LeBron played the finals with a busted hand. You know, the, the right hand, that's the thing he dribbled and shoots with, and he never said a word. You know why, Kuwait? Because he's a man. He shows up when he's called. You think you had it rough when Parker slapped you in the face with his white glove? What do you think LeBron's going to do when you can't play because Bill Plasky wrote a harsh column about you? And Stephen A. Smith's reporting that you threatened that maybe you'll sit out the whole 2019 season if the Spurs don't trade you because you've got your feelings hurt? You have poisoned the water so bad that any possible trade to any team other than the Lakers, including the Lakers now, are willing to give up anything in return for you. You don't deserve to play near the Alamo, Kowit. And if they resign you, Davy Crockett will probably come out of his grave and surrender to Santa Ana in your honor. Do you think you're going to make back the $50 million you're leaving on the table by going to L.A. through endorsements? Who's going to sign you, dude? You don't speak. There's a reason Nike didn't give you a $20 million contract. You've got the personality of a chalkboard. You're as sharp as a spoon. Your failure to get deals with a big company... No! Oh, Gino! Gino, shark! Gino! Gino, shark! Get to land! Get to dry land, Gino! Gino, shark! Gino, quick! Swim, Gino! Somebody get him! There's a shark in the water, Gino! about Gino is I can't run Gino because the quality of his smack is such that he could have kept going and it wasn't dying off. I mean, he could have called him Kawit or Kawhi Baby Leonard another 50 times or gone off about how his fat uncle had him in New York when he should have been back with his team. Gino, you know me. I didn't run you because the take wasn't good. I ran you because if I didn't, you'd be going for another five minutes. And I want you to save some of it for the smack off. Let's go to Fort Collins. Luke in Fort Collins. Luke, how you feeling? What's up? Hey, Rome. Welcome back. So, yeah, I'm looking on the bright side here. People know me as this fluke who lost his ticket and got replaced in the smack off field. But at least I'm not Luke Walton, who just got replaced by his new power forward. Uh, i got to give the Nuggets some props, Rome, for efforting King James at least. Finally, this team realized they haven't been interesting since Melo bailed on them a decade ago, and they went for the biggest name in the game. It's a good move. So I can't blame LeBron for not wanting to come to Denver and to play for a team that follows that Dan and Denver strategy every game of starting strong, sabotaging halfway through, and throwing away an easy win. Damn, now that I think about it, that sums up every team in Colorado this year. The Broncos' defense earned the gloss the no-try zone, especially when they allowed 21 unanswered goals on a soccer field against the Chargers. That was embarrassing. And, Rome, when you look at the Avalanche, best thing going for them is how well their name sums up their history as a team out here. Started at the top, descended to the bottom, and buried all of us in cold, harsh despair we may never dig out of. Y'all see what I just did there? It is what you think. I ran him, and I schmackied him. You might say, hey, Rome, you can't take anything away from him. You already did. Yeah, well, I did it again. I took away a ticket that he didn't have. That's how bad that was. I might be Luke in Fort Collins, but at least I'm not Luke Walton. Was that your take? Did you say that? Somebody remind me how the hell I ever gave that guy a ticket to begin with. Alvin, help me out here. Temporarily lost my senses. How, how did that guy? Luke, 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 I like you. All right, you're a good dude. You're not a very good caller, but you're a good dude. Alvin, remind me because I don't remember. Exactly what the hell did this guy say or do to get that ticket in the first place? Lauren in Naples. It is smack-off season. 
Lauren, what's going on? How are you? What up, Van Smack? What's up in SoCal? It's all good here, Lauren. What's up in Naples? Not much. Just straight humidity. Not good. So I wanted to get one thing straight. The whole thing about Mona, didn't realize she had cancer. Big, big mistake on my part. Just want to throw out an apology about that. I felt really bad once I heard the podcast. Um, so, yeah, Mona, just lay off the cigarettes. Can't really understand you, girl. I want you to sound good. Um, <clears throat> it might sound better if you're not running from the Piggly Wiggly, you know, with a damn PBR in your hand. Uh, all I want to do is say, you know, Hawk, with your damn kitty shirts. Loving it. You do what you want. Uh, let's talk about LeBron maybe going to the Lakers. Yes, he's going to the Lakers. I don't know how I really feel about that. Um, Rondo is trying to make sense of the whole thing. I'm trying to make sense of the whole thing. I mean, I know his kids go to school there, but okay. Good for you, LeBron. Well, bad. And I wanted to say James Kelly's head kind of looks like the warped wall from the American Ninja Warrior. It's hard to get up there. I'll just tell you that. And I'll probably get up there before I left in Laguna. But you know what? I'm out. I don't really have that much to say. Brazil's going to take it. I know I said Germany was going to take it. I know I can beat Mona in the in – the, I'm going to tear her ticket up. I'll tell you that much. I know I can do this, and I know I can run all day. Not run all day. I don't want to be racked. I want a golden ticket, and I know I can do it. And I just ate a big-ass bowl of Honey Smacks, so I know. Sorry to hear about Luke. Ooh, Luke. No golden ticket. I'm sorry that was weak smack. Um, but, yeah, I'm out. Lauren, racker. Good night now! How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola energy. Energy you want, taste you love.